I'm calling it the window of the love that provides. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your love. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we once again gather at the cross, that, Lord, you will speak to our hearts. You'll minister to our souls. Lord, we pray that you would stir up within us a deep desire to hear from you and to learn from you and to be directed and guided by you. In Jesus' name, amen. In John 19, beginning in verse 25, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. On the day that Jesus died, the scriptures record seven statements, seven windows into the character of Christ and into lessons for those who desire to look into the heart of Jesus and the heart of God. And three of those statements are found in Luke's gospel. And the conversations may have been heard in part or by whole of those people who decided that they would gather around the cross that day. We know from the New Testament that there was a hardened criminal and we know that there was a seasoned soldier. We know that there was the public at large. We know there was a group of women. We know there was a religious leader. One saying is given and repeated by Matthew and Mark, three by Luke and three by John. All seven sayings fall into two groups. The first three into one group and the last four into another group. Three of the statements were spoken to God, the father by Jesus, the son and four to those who stood closest to Jesus. Briefly, the first window and the first word is found in Luke 23, 34. You remember where Jesus says, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the second window is found in Luke 23, 43. Today, Jesus says to the thief on the cross, you will be with me in paradise. And the third window is the one we're going to focus on and reflect on. John 19, 26 and 27. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. The fourth window is found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, verse 47, where Jesus is quoting Psalm 29 or actually Psalm 19. Actually, it's Psalm 22. I don't have it in my notes. It's where he says, Eli, Eli, lava sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the fifth window is in John chapter 19, verse 28, where he says, I thirst. The sixth window is found in John 19, 30, where he says, 
to Telestai. It is finished. And the seventh window is in Luke 23, 46, where with his final breath, he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Three of the seven sayings are prayers. The fourth and the seventh sayings are addressed to God the Father. The last and the final words of Jesus are taken from the Old Testament, where we get insight into his source of comfort as he bows his head and dies. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The first window allows us to see the love that Forgives, And the second window allows us to see a love that transforms. And the third window allows us to see a love that provides. And the fourth window allows us to see a love that questions. And the fifth window allows us to see a love that suffers. And the sixth window allows us to see a love that finds itself triumphant. And the seventh window allows us to see a love that decides to surrender. And so we're going to peek into the priceless window. Look again in verse 25. It says in John 19, 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When therefore Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciples, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciples took her into his own home. I know. That you must be thinking what I'm thinking. No mother should ever have to watch her child die. It shouldn't happen, should it? Few things are more horrifying. Tragically, in my life, I've spent time with moms who've had to bury their children. The third time that Jesus speaks from the cross, it's to his mother and the beloved disciple, John. And I want to remind ourselves of of just who's there right at this moment. John, who's writing this gospel, remembers he's an eyewitness to the things that he's recording. He mentions Mary, the mother of Jesus, her sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary of Magdala. John is the lone, brave disciple who makes his way to the foot of the cross. The rest stand at a distance for fear of their lives. Two of the women are very familiar to us, or at least most of us who have been a Christian for a very long time. We know a lot about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and and we've certainly done Bible studies about Mary of Magdala. But what about this other Mary? And if they're sisters, who in their right mind would name two girls with the same name? I know what some of you are thinking. They must be Hispanic. (laughs) This is Maria Guadalupe, and this is Maria Eleanor, and this is Maria de la Cruz de Jesus. But that's not actually what's happened here. The early church tradition gives us a clue. Who is this other Mary? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that according to church tradition, she's Mary, 
the mother of Jesus' sister by marriage. Remember, Mary was married to Joseph. Joseph had a brother named Clopas, and it just so happened that his brother also married a girl by the very same name, Miriam. It's awkward, but it happens, especially when you live in a world where a lot of girls are named Mary. And we know that Mary, the mother of Jesus and the beloved sister-in-law, became close friends It would appear that Joseph dies sometime after the adolescence of Jesus. And it would appear that Clopas takes on in part the mantle of the care and the comfort of the family of Mary. And so we also know from early church tradition that Clopas and Mary had a son named Simeon. And this Simeon was Jesus's first cousin, and he would go on to become an important leader in Jerusalem after the death of James, the half-brother of Jesus, and after the execution of Peter. And the women are clearly in a hostile crowd. But even as we gather close together, we're reminded of the importance of the ministry and the role that women played in the ministry of Jesus. You see, it was the women who provided the bulk of the financial support, both for Jesus and his disciples. And I'm going to suggest to you that it is women even to this day that provide the bulk of the financial support and personal support for every single ministry that takes place on this planet. It was a woman who at the well who became the first missionary to the Samaritans in John 4:28. It was a woman who anointed Jesus with oil to prepare him for his death in Matthew 26:6. It was three women who had the courage to press forward and stand by Jesus for the grueling 6 hours before he died. And you may have forgotten that when you reflect on this particular passage. It was the early church father, Chrysostom, who's credited with saying that women may be the weaker sex, but they on this occasion proved to be the stronger. The women were the ones who stayed late and rose early on that resurrection morning. They were the ones who came to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. It was a group of women who first saw the stone rolled away. It was a group of women who first hear the angel's message. It's a group of women who present the gospel for the first time to the frightened disciples. Jesus demonstrated a deep love for and compassion towards women in a culture where women weren't always treated with honor and respect. The Spanish have a saying. I'm trying to think of how it would go in English. An ounce of a mother is worth a ton of priest. That's how it goes. Mary, the mother of Jesus, stood by the cross. By the way, the verb is emphatic. And in order, it's the beginning of the sentence, pluperfect and tense. The implication was from the moment that her son was roped and then suspended to the cross and then hung on that cross, she stood standing. If our calculations are correct, it began at about nine o'clock in the morning and nine o'clock has become 10 o'clock and 10 o'clock has become 11 o'clock and 11 o'clock has become 12 o'clock and this woman has been standing 
three hours. And the Bible says that the Roman soldiers sat and gambled for his clothing. But there she stood and she remained standing. Herbert Lockyer writes, quote, yet under the strain of standing so long, she didn't faint or collapse under the immense burden of her anguish. But in reverent dignity stands by her dying son, unquote, to the people in the crowd. She would have just appeared like a peasant woman. Ordinary. Dr. S.J. Reed describes her, quote, her worn hands tell of a lifetime of household drudgery. Her dress speaks of poverty. She has lived in since the day that she was made an offering of two young pigeons for the circumcision of her son. Her brow is furrowed. Her hair is white for the burden of over 50 years is upon her and the lines of age and care, which come so ungraciously and so early in the Middle East, deepened by the added sorrows of widowhood. And it marks her face. And her figure. Mary loves her son. And she wants to offer him strength. And comfort. Particularly when the people closest to him have fled. And she watches the mocking crowd. And she watches the dispassionate soldiers. And she watches the hateful leaders. And she wants to provide something far more. By the way, those who stood closest to the cross ran a great risk. Jesus is a revolutionary in the eyes of Rome. He's a heretic in the eyes of the religious leaders. And any supporter of Jesus runs the risk of ridicule, rejection, and arrest. So why have these ladies pressed themselves forward into the very front? I think you know why. It's love. But even as Jesus is racked with pain and fatigue, Jesus will make a provision for his mother for care and protection. And in the final hours of his life, his attention will turn to the one that God uses to participate in God's plan to provide Jesus with a body that's going to be necessary in order to complete his ministry. And Jesus asks John to care for his mother. And then Jesus asks Mary to accept that care and that protection. By the way, according to one tradition in the church, Mary goes on with John to Ephesus, which is a coastal city in modern Turkey. I've been there three times the guides will try to take you to the place this ramshackle place a ruin where according to tradition that john and mary live but there's a much older older tradition that has john and mary living within the walls of jerusalem you may not know this but according to church tradition she survives for some 12 years After the death and the resurrection of her son. But in the tender conversation, we see this outworking of the fifth commandment that was given in the Old Testament. Honor your mother and honor your father. 
What's the biblical obligation that parents have towards their children and children towards their parents? What does it mean to honor your mother and your father? And it might come as a shock and it might come as a surprise to you. That the giving of the commandment. If it was for nothing other than this moment in time and space. Would serve the commandment well. Maybe it's time for the church to take a fresh look at John as a model for what it means to be a loving provision. What can we learn from the words of Jesus? Does our mission include caring for those that Jesus cares about as if they are our own family? And that's what you see. But it isn't for everyone, is it? It seems to be only for those who have courage And those who have love and those who are willing to press close at the darkest time and those who are willing to hear in a place where Jesus will speak. You know, we live in a culture and we live in a society where there's a callous parental neglect. And it's never been worse than right now. And so Jesus invites us to reconsider what it means to honor our father and to honor our mother. By the way, in the previous word, Jesus taught that generosity is the remedy for selfishness and prosperity. And now here in this third window, Jesus shows that consideration for others is the remedy against selfishness and and adversity. And so here's what Jesus does. Even in the statement, he invites us To live a selfless life. Hubert Simpson wrote, quote, there are times when it may still be given to a trusted disciple to take the very place of Christ beside a troubled soul. And when you least expect it, Jesus will speak to you. And say, go to him. Go to her. Pray with him. Pray with her. But she's not my mother. He's not my father. Those aren't my children. Simpson writes, quote, It is the highest reward that life can command to become a bearer of the very comfort of God to a broken spirit in the hour of need and sorrow. And Jesus calls this person, his mother, woman. And the term might sound strange and disrespectful to our ears, particularly if you've ever heard your father say to your mother, woman. And what child growing up would ever say to his mother, woman. But in that culture, in that society, it doesn't necessarily translate As a matter of fact, it it was a a term of endearment. As a matter of fact, when I'm trying to think of a a close approximation of how we would use that word in our everyday language, it would be lady. Not in an impersonal sense, but in the sense in which a person will say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. As a matter of fact, in the brief conversations that we have between Jesus and his mother in the New Testament, he never, ever 
addresses her as mother, but always as a woman. And see how Jesus describes himself. Behold, your son. Each word spells pain. There's a reason why the conversation is brief. He's pinned to a piece of wood. He's suspended, if we are to understand crucifixion from a historical record, about two feet off the ground. The women are literally looking at his shins. And he has to pull himself up in order to allow air into his lungs. And he allows it to pull down in order to exhale so that each word becomes racking, convulsive pain. Behold, pain. Your pain, son. In a sense, he's inviting her to a concentrated contemplation. Look carefully. Look intently. He is stripped and he is hurt and he is suffering and he is pierced and he is lacerated. And there's nothing attractive here. But a mother sees what only a mother can see. Beyond the gore, beyond the blood. She sees something fair and she sees something attractive. When Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross and he said, This day you will be with me in paradise, he acts as God and makes a promise that only God can give. But when he speaks to his mother, he speaks as a man and he makes a promise. To a mother from a son. And that's what he calls himself. Your son. And in that declaration, it's a confirmation of his incarnation. He came as God in the flesh. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And on the cross, he doesn't forget that she is his mother and he is her son. And in his compassionate heart, he knows what it means to stand so resolutely and watch him die in agony and shame. But he isn't dying a helpless victim, but a mighty victor. And the woman served as a guardian in his childhood. And now he entrusts her in a legacy of love to someone that he cares about and someone that he trusts. John. No wonder comforting widows in in their affliction became such an important ministry in the early church. And remember, remember what we know. Jesus had other brothers and sisters. James, Joseph, Jude, Simon. Why didn't he entrust her care to them. And the answer is found in John chapter 7 verse 5. Neither did his brothers believe in him. Jesus wasn't going to entrust her to just anyone. Well, their family. Well, you know what? There comes a point where sometimes something is way more important than family. Someone who shares your outlook and your life and your love and your commitment to the reality of who God is and who Jesus is. And so a loving and faithful John fulfills the solemn trust given to him by Jesus. He takes the mother of Jesus into his home and John becomes like a son to Mary. 
and Mary like a son to John. And clearly, this is a confidence that you don't just simply give to anyone. And I want you to think just for a moment that Jesus honors them both by giving them to each other. In church tradition, like I said, Mary lives another 12 years. And no doubt Mary provides assistance to Matthew and John in their brief biographies. Because who knows better than a mom the biography of her son? Archbishop Alexander writes, quote, They, mothers, have a subtle insight, almost prophetic instincts. Who can doubt that the annunciation, the birth, the sweet silence of the baby and boy life form a part of Mary's material contribution to the authentic Gospels? The heart of Mary had not been without influence on the hand of John. And so does it surprise you that in the last moments of his life, Jesus, touched by the hurt and sorrow of his mother, makes a provision for her. And would it shock you? Would it surprise you that that same Jesus is still touched by sorrow and hurt? Your sorrow and your hurt. This week I learned an amazing thing that I should have known after 40 years. The root word in the Hebrew language is related to the word compassion. The root word in the Hebrew language for womb and the root word for compassion is is the same. In other words, there seems to be this sense in the Hebrew language in which compassion becomes a mechanism that generates affection enthusiasm emotion like a mother's love what a mother's love does is it gives it an an opportunity for a second chance and a third chance in other words the idea is that when you exercise compassion you're giving someone a new start and a new life and god gives an ample provision To a woman who's going to need a son. And to a son who's going to need a mother. And through this stained glass window of love, all of a sudden you begin to see something amazing. It's an ocean of grace. What is that provision? What does that grace provide? Let's do our ABCs. A, acceptance for the unworthy, Ephesians 1. B, blessing for the cursed, Galatians 3. Cleansing for the polluted, 1 John 1, 7. Deliverance for the captive, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Enrichment for the poor, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Fullness of pardon for the guilty, Luke 7, 42. Grace for the prodigal, Luke 15. Heaven for the hell-deserving, Colossians 1, 13. Inheritance for the beggar, 1 Peter 1, 3. Joy for the miserable, the kiss of welcome for the wanderer, life for the dead, might for the feeble, nearness for those who are afar, open door for those who are who who, who are undeserving. 
peace for the enemy, quietness for the troubled, righteous for the unrighteous, salvation for the lost, truth for the untrue, union for the severed, virtue for the deprived, welcome for all. And I can't for the life of me think of anything for X, Y, and Z. But maybe you can. Maybe that's what you need to think about. Not just what Jesus did, but the provision that he makes. There was a very famous atheist named Robert Ingersoll. He was a notorious skeptic who hated Christians and vilified Christianity. And in his heyday, two college students went out to hear him lecture. And as they walked down the street after the lecture, one said to the other, Well, I guess he knocked the props out of Christianity, didn't he? And the other said, no, I don't think that he did. You see, Ingersoll gave all kinds of reasons why he was an atheist. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't explain my mother's life. And until he can explain my mother's life, I think I'm going to stand with my mother's God. A mother provides way more than just birth, nurture, protection, provision. It becomes a type and a picture of a life that you might be called to live. Those are the windows. It's Friday. Sunday's coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you and praise you and glorify you. That you've given us a vision, a picture. Of love and provision. That Lord, you care even at the last moments. And there's never a time. When another person's pain. And another person's sorrow and another person's deprivation doesn't become immensely important to you. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would begin to teach us the lessons of what it means to honor our mother and to honor our father. And Heavenly Father, we pray. We pray, we pray, we pray, Lord. That we would be fathers and mothers who live our lives in such a way as when our children are being solicited to abandon our faith and to move away from the cross and run away from the ridicule. That they would remember our life and they would remember our love in Jesus name. Amen.